Loudspeaker Studios. Welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society, the podcast celebrating the unexpected benefits of living a zero-proof lifestyle. I'm Adrian Vandervalk. And I'm Erin Ranta, and we are the co-founders of Reva Recovery Support and originators of the Hangover Liberation Method. Today, we are very excited and very fortunate to have with us another sober podcaster and educator and community builder whom Erin and I have both followed and admired since she first launched her platform, Jill Teets, the brain and voice behind the Sober Powered podcast, YouTube channel, and Facebook group. Jill, welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society. It's so great to have you here. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me. And many of our listeners probably already know you because we reference your podcast a lot, but for those of you who might be new to Sober Powered, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and anything that you would like to share about your recovery journey? Yeah, so I'm Jill. I live in the Boston area with my husband, and I'm two and a half years sober. Um, so I, uh, yeah, it's a long time, but also then you meet people that have like 20 years, and you're like, okay, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> um, but I quit right before the quarantine started and we all had to go home from work. So I'm very, very fortunate that I was able to quit before that whole thing because I would have spiraled. But for me, I drank every day and it just made me happy, I thought. It made me happy. It made my life better. It helped me connect with my husband. And most importantly, it reduced my stress. And I had a lot of stress and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I thought that's just like something adults did was they just drank to unwind after work. It's like one of the most common things you hear about in sobriety too. People are like, what do I do after work? Like how do I unwind or how do I treat myself after a long week of work? And I really subscribed to that belief. But the problem was I couldn't just unwind. I had to like make it a whole night every day. Um, so my drinking quickly – got out of control. It just made me really depressed. And for me, the mental health part was why I quit. I always believed it was me and not alcohol, which I think was interesting. I always thought I was the problem, that I had all these things wrong with me. I was just an anxious person now, magically, at 28 years old when I had never had anxiety before in my life. I was just a really depressed person. And I always blamed myself and not alcohol. And I got so desperate that I decided to give it a chance, but it was really the mental health part. And ultimately it was because I was really suicidal. Uh, drinking for all those years really made me hate myself. I was never like someone who particularly liked myself very much. So then add alcohol onto all of that and it took me to a really dark place. And I just thought, I'll try it. I'll see. And then I found out when I first got sober, that I didn't have to hate myself anymore. I all of a sudden had no anxiety. My depression started to get better. I didn't feel suicidal. And then, you know, eventually I was cured, like a lot of us feel. And I went back to drinking after 90 days. And that was the most important thing for me. I think a lot of people beat the crap out of themselves when they 
go back to drinking or have a lapse or a relapse or a slip, whatever you want to call it. But I would not have what I have now if I didn't go back after 90 days because I went back to drinking and it wasn't bad immediately, but it got bad quick and I was right back to where I was before and I saw like nothing changed. All the reasons you quit the first time, they're right back. You're in the same exact place. That 90 days did nothing. All the stuff you thought you learned, like you're not going to let it control you anymore. Like all of that stuff didn't matter at all. And that was what led me to finally accept like, yeah, I, I can't do this. And now I know like two and a half years is not enough. 200 years is not going to be enough time. Like, so I really had to have that experience before I could just say like, no more ever. Y'all can't see us, but Aaron and I are like nodding our heads yeah. vigorously throughout yeah. Jill's whole story. So, so incredibly relatable. Well, thank you for, for sharing that with us. And one thing I forgot to mention in the intro is that you're a scientist. And so those of you who have listened to the podcast knows that Jill brings a science lens to the work that she does and really digs into the science behind why people drink, why certain people have different experiences with alcohol than others, and what happens when you stop. So I would love to hear you say a little bit about why you started researching the science behind alcohol use disorder and sobriety, and what led you to begin podcasting about it. It was the self-hatred. I believed the stigma that I was a weak-willed loser that had no self-control that chose to drink that way, that only if I had more willpower, like all those things, I just was like, yep, that's probably true about me. It seems pretty accurate. I saw everybody around me who seemed to have full control over themselves, and I couldn't understand why I just couldn't figure it out. And that self-hatred inspired me to investigate. Part of my job was keeping up with the latest research, so I just knew how to do it. And with you know, my background in the sciences, I know how to understand it very well. So I just started reading about it just for my own benefit. I wanted to know, like, is this my fault? Is there something wrong with my brain? Am I like genetically predisposed, even though like I don't really have family history? Or is it like my personality? And that inspired me to start reading about it. And, you know, sober obsession in the beginning is pretty hardcore. So I did it every day, all day, every day. And then like eight months in or so, I realized like how much it had been helping me let go of the belief that it was that it was my fault or my choice. And I thought everybody needs this. I had not been in the sober community very much at that point. I was kind of in Facebook groups a little bit and posting. And I saw like I wasn't alone in my experiences, but I really wasn't on Instagram at all. And I wasn't listening to very many podcasts. Like I didn't know about the community. And I kept thinking like, how can I share this with people? And I thought like, okay, probably like blog, podcast, or YouTube. And then I was like, I can't do YouTube video is so, <laughs> that is so intimidating. And I was like, do people read blogs. I do. I think they do, but I don't know. I wasn't sure. So then I was like, okay, podcasts are cool because that's how I started. I, I found one podcast and I started with that when I first quit and I didn't know how to do a podcast, but I just put it out the same day. I just like figured it out and did it. 
and then it went from there. <laughs> so my show is like almost a time capsule of me, my sobriety and me like learning how to podcast. I love that. And I also love that you didn't let not knowing how to do it stop you, that you just had the idea and jumped right in. That's really, that's actually, that's how I started podcasting too. And I think it's, I think it's great. Well, your work resonates with many, many, many people who clearly need this information just like you did. Can you tell us about some of the topics that have really stood out in terms of being your most popular episodes or the things that you get the most feedback about? And, and we'll make sure to link these in our show notes for our listeners. Yeah, my most popular topics are probably anxiety and coping. Those are the ones that I get asked about all the time. And then anytime I do an episode about why alcohol doesn't help you cope or how to actually cope or, or just things kind of talking about why it doesn't help you, those are always very popular. And then my interviews, I don't do very many, but when I do, those, those do pretty well, surprisingly. What have been some of the most surprising or interesting findings to you since you started digging into this research? I think the first one that really stood out was that not everyone has the same experience when they drink. I think the best way to explain it is like with those people that leave half a beer and we look at them and we're like, <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you leaving them behind? But they just genuinely don't want it. Like they had half a drink or one and a half drinks or whatever, and they were satisfied. So then they stopped and it was whatever. But some people feel a lot of pleasure when they drink alcohol and it's going to be tougher for them to you know, leave any behind or it's going to be tougher for them to have an off switch. So I think just validating my experience that like, I was obsessed with it and loved it and wanted to do it all the time because it did impact me differently than it does you know, the quote normal drinkers. And maybe along similar lines, but what information has been the most meaningful to you personally? Yeah, that one. But I think the biggest one was about alcohol and depression. Because like I said in the beginning, my main reason for stopping was that I was really suicidal at the end. And I thought, I'm just a suicidal person. <laughs> like That was my conclusion. That's just the way that I am. And when I stopped and saw that those feelings went away with the alcohol, I started learning about it and I learned how every time you drink, you get this huge burst of serotonin that makes you super happy. And that's why I was so drawn to it because I naturally have depression and it fixed my problem for me in the short term. And then when you're done drinking, you drop down below baseline. So you're more depressed than you were when you started drinking. And you repeat this over and over and over again, and you keep like going down and down and down and down, and your baseline gets lower and lower and lower, which then means that the drop you have as the alcohol wears off gets even lower. And that's why a lot of us will feel suicidal at the end of our drinking. And fortunately for me, that was enough for me to stop. But some people act on those thoughts and it just makes me really sad because I don't believe that those thoughts are necessarily real 
or at least they're just enhanced by alcohol. So I think realizing like I didn't have as many problems as I thought I did was really freeing for me. Jill, you and I recently had a conversation for an article that's going to be coming out soon, and we'll make sure to get that pushed out as well for spirituality and health about some of the studies linking the benefits of mindfulness and sobriety. Can you tell us a little bit about what you found in your research about the benefits of mindfulness? Yeah. So trait mindfulness, I think, is important to define. So when people are just naturally more mindful, they're able to stay non-reactive. So things happen to them and they recognize their thoughts and feelings. They accept them, you know, like, hello, old friend anxiety. It's nice to see you here again. And they don't react. They consider before they do something. And that, you know, has been shown to really make them at lower risk for developing an addiction or using substances to try to, you know, fix their problem. And just because you don't have natural mindfulness like that doesn't mean you can't learn it. So what mindfulness does as you learn it is it helps you get the pause in between when things happen to you and what you do about them. And a lot of drinking is just like, walking around, reacting to everything and not thinking about it. And mindfulness helps you recognize your automatic behaviors and your automatic thoughts and address them. So I think that is really powerful. And something important that it does too is is our sympathetic nervous system is all hyped up all the time because we're drinking and like our brains are all messed up, but also just emotionally, like often we don't know how to deal with anything So we're just on edge all the time. And what mindfulness does is it engages the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you back down. So normally in a normal nervous system, something will happen and it'll escalate in your head and you'll get ready to react. Like maybe your brain thinks there's some kind of danger or something that you need to respond to quick. And then you come back down. But with drinking, like you you don't do that second part very well. And that's why we then turn to alcohol because it automatically brings you right back down. Now you're calm. Now you're relaxed. Now your stress is gone. Whatever problem you had, it's much easier to deal with. You don't feel very overwhelmed. And when you remove the alcohol, people don't know how to engage that parasympathetic like rest and relax part of the nervous system. And that's what mindfulness allows us to do. It allows us to engage that and calm ourselves down. It's something that you have to practice and learn, but I think it's really powerful. And I've read that it actually helps with how your brain is connected to itself. So like your prefrontal cortex, your thinking area, um, your cognitive control area, how that connects with your reward system which is pretty important because your reward system is going to be like, hey, alcohol is the best idea today. Like, let's do it. And then you need your prefrontal cortex to be like, no, dude, like we don't do that. You know, let's relax. 
But if those aren't connected very well or alcohol is disrupting the connections because you're actively drinking, then you're just going to go with it. Your reward system is going to send you a craving and you're going to be like, okay, done. Time to drink. So I think that it it helps in all sorts of different ways, both physically with the way that our brain is connected to itself, but also by teaching us how to pause and actually consider the future before then acting. Because being reactive is the worst thing that you can be in sobriety because then you're trying to willpower your way through everything and like resist. And that's not a very fun way to live, which is why so many people can do it for a while. But ultimately, that's not sustainable. Yeah, I love what you said about the reward system. Just even learning that such a thing existed in my own head was really transformative for me because it just gave me some like a framework to even think about like what the hell is going on in there <laughs> you know? and and understanding that those things were connected was huge. So thank you so much for for breaking that down so clearly. Yeah, I like to think about it as not like, feelings and situations and whatever, but I like to think about my actual brain and like what must be going on in there. So I've had urges to drink in my two and a half years and I, not immediately because I'm like dealing with an urge, but as I'm coming back down from the urge, I like to think about, wow, what must have just happened in my head when I escalated that quickly and then my mind was like, drink. And then, you know, like just what what are these messages that's being sent? Like last night we went to a cooking class and I could smell other people's wine. Like what is that doing inside my brain? So I try to disconnect me and who I am and my feelings and just try to think about it as a brain that stuff is happening in there. And it, it just makes it interesting and it makes it I guess this is more mindfulness too, where I'm not judging it anymore. It's just like a thing. It just is. That lack of judgment is huge because as you said, you know, the alternative is just to assume like, oh, I'm having these urges because there's something wrong with me or I haven't learned my lesson versus this is literally like how my brain is functioning. And once I learn that, I can learn how to, you know, hack it or or make it do something else that's going to achieve a much, much healthier result for me. Yeah. And during that pause, that pause is so important as well. It can really make or break the moment. Absolutely. As a nonprofit, everything we do at Loudspeaker could not be possible without the generous support of our listeners. Become part of the Loudspeaker family and pledge your support now at loudspeaker.org. So this podcast focuses on the unexpected benefits of giving up alcohol. What have been some of the benefits that you found either in your research or in your own journey that most people might be surprised by or, or don't know about? I think probably like most of the benefits people aren't aware of. I think the biggest one is the mental health benefits. Like people don't understand the connection between why they feel very anxious and they're drinking or why their self-esteem is so low and they're drinking. Other just like cute benefits are like the skin ones. I thought that I had really bad skin and then I stopped drinking and all the dry patches started going away. And I was like, huh, isn't that interesting? (laughs) What a weird coincidence. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of coincidences, right? And things happen and you're like, well, this is nice. And then you're like, hmm, well, I am three months sober. I wonder if <laughs> like another one that I had too was my body image got a lot better. And that you might not think is connected right away, but it is because at, maybe not for everybody, but for me at least, I wasn't making the best choices for my health while I was drinking. Um, I wasn't making the best food choices. I was exercising, but when you're drinking every day and you're exercising, you're not going to make that much progress. And the self-esteem benefits of sobriety also translate into other areas of your life. Like it's not just self-esteem that I'm not a loser or a bad person or that I can get through a weekend sober. It's it's self-esteem in every area. And yeah, my body image was one of the biggest things. And that took time. That took about six months for me. But yeah, I, I walked by a mirror and normally I would just tear myself down. And one day I walked by a mirror and I was like, huh, you don't look too bad today. And then I just kept going. And then like a minute later I stopped and I was like, what? <laughs> there were no bad comments at all? Like. And the, so it just started small with like neutral comments. and But now I don't tear myself down in the mirror anymore either. That's amazing. That's really a big one. I love that. What do you wish more people understood about alcohol use disorder? That it's not a choice. I think, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that is still a very common belief. Mm -hmm. um, I think people also generalize a lot and they think that you know, alcoholics are all of these bad things. Like they're, they're selfish, they're weak-willed, they only care about themselves. Like nothing is important to them except alcohol. Like their only priority is drinking. That's all they, that's all they care about. When in reality, like the drinker is really miserable. Like they, they know that they're like deep down, they know their drinking makes them miserable but they don't see any other like option in life. I wish that people could just have more compassion and realize like the drinker isn't having fun. They're not like doing great in life because of alcohol. They are really, really suffering. They just yeah. don't know how to get out. Nobody would ask to have a problem with alcohol. You know, nobody really wants that. How can people find you and learn more about your amazing work? So if you search for Sober Powered, you'll find me. I'm probably everywhere or almost everywhere, and that is enough. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be sure to link directly to your website and podcast and YouTube and all of that in the show notes as well. So Thank you. So we'll make it real easy for folks. So what is next for you and for Sober Powered in all of its forms? What are you working on? So I just quit my job. I um, saw that. I was wondering <laughs> if you were going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I just quit my job. So last week was my first week of being self-employed. Amazing. Uh, it's very weird. Thank you. I like it. It's, mm. it's a different kind of stress, but I'm enjoying it. I felt instantly like, wow, my stress is a lot lower and that was nice. So I'm working on some projects that I'm not announcing yet, but they're I'll probably announce them in like maybe a month. But more stuff along what I already do. It's cool. 
But yeah, self-employed life right now. Love it. Well, we will continue to champion everything you do and really just want to thank you for being a voice that just helps people understand themselves better. It's so necessary and and we love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so, so much and for taking your time to be here with us today. Oh, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. Now it is time for our big sober energy tip. And that's the segment of the show where we share an idea or technique to enhance your recovery. And we hope today's tip helps make your recovery more joyful, radical, and fulfilling. Today's big sober energy tip, inspired by Jill, is to put yourself in the path of people and ideas that support you and your recovery. Aaron and I both know from long, long experience that when you're getting sober, there's a lot of advice and a lot of pressure to like do this and read this and go here. And I sometimes found myself really resisting that advice. And one way that I found to kind of reframe those suggestions for myself is instead of making a list of things that like you have to do, I thought instead about tuning my life to recovery, putting myself in the path of ideas that would help me. Or maybe another way to say it is creating an ecosystem around me that supported my sobriety. And the reason that I liked that better was that it helped me energetically align my life with what was best for me and what I knew I wanted for myself rather than Think of my sobriety as like a checklist or something to be conquered and accomplished. Rather, it was like a litmus test for me energetically. Does this activity or person or podcast or event align with what I want? Does it belong in my sobriety ecosystem? That really goes along with not only Jill's podcast, which I think belongs in everyone's sobriety ecosystem, but what she was saying about when she first got sober, wanting to really feed her brain information that would be helpful to her. And this, I think, also is a technique that can work for other things as well. I know when we talk about money, for example, and many of us coming out of our substance use disorders feeling like we don't really know how to handle our money. Well, one way to approach that is to put yourself in the path of voices and ideas about money that will be helpful to you and create an ecosystem designed to educate you about money. The same thing really can apply to a variety of different shifts that you might want to change in your life. And I chose this one today also just because, you know, podcasts are such an excellent way to put yourself in the path of supportive ideas. You have someone's voice in your ears encouraging you to learn something new or just encouraging you in, in general. It's a way to feel connected, not only to the host, but to all the other people who are listening. And as we've talked about many times, that sense of connection is also supportive of your recovery journey because we are mammals and mammals evolved to live in community and bond with other mammals. So a community like Reva or like the Sober Powered community or AA or whatever resonates with you. That's not a small part of your recovery ecosystem. It's arguably 
the most important part. So think about the metaphorical path you travel every day, your routine, the media you consume, the people you connect with and exchange energy with, and just make subtle shifts so that the path brings you into contact with the people and the ideas that will lead you to your highest good into the life that you want for yourself. And that is today's tip. I hope you find it useful. Meditation and movement are essential components of the hangover liberation method. In each episode, we carve out a little time to either move or breathe with you or both. And today, Erin is going to lead us in a short movement practice. Okay, so you heard Jill speak about the parasympathetic nervous system. It's important to find access to that so we can create some calmness and also to help create that pause. So let's start by lying on our back today. Our legs are going to be bent. So your knees bent and your feet on the floor. So hopefully that is comfortable for you. If it's not, you're welcome to experiment with a different position, but we're just going to breathe here first and breathing can really help access the parasympathetic nervous system, breathing in a proper way for this goal. So take a nice big inhale and then as we exhale, letting the air go out of the body, relax the shoulders, relax the ribs. When we do this again, we're going to think about on the inhale, letting the belly expand, kind of dropping that breath down into the diaphragm, down into the belly. And then as you exhale, think about the diaphragm is actually doing a little bit of a lifting motion. And this is an opportunity to start to very, very subtly engage the deep core muscles and relax the shoulders and neck simultaneously. So that's a lot. But just as we breathe, we're going to try to breathe not from a place in our neck and our shoulders, but rather a place in the belly area. And then especially on the exhale, I really like to think about letting any extra tension kind of leave the body that might not be needed in the body. And just having a slight sense of power start to engage in the deep abdominal area. Okay, so then we're gonna take this concept with a bridge where your hips are gonna end up coming off of the mat or the floor, but we're gonna do it with the breath. So from where we start, we're gonna take an inhale and just stay where you are. Let, let the body just remain. And then on your exhale, take that low abdominal engagement and let that tilt your pelvis under a bit, bringing your ribs closer to your hips. And then you're going to take a slight activation of the back of the legs and the glute muscles, and that will roll your hips up off the mat. So you are basically on your shoulders and your feet with your hips up in kind of a diagonal line. Once you find that position, take an inhale and just hold, just feel where your body is, feel the strength and the feet pushing into the mat and the glutes kind of activating a little bit of opening of the hips. Then as you exhale, you can let the spine roll down one bone at a time, let that softness in the spine happen all the way down until you feel like you're sticking your butt out a little bit at the end. So you don't want to skip that last little part. You want to come all the way down. The hardest part I find that for people is to inhale and just hold. So can you just inhale and just be? 
then that way you have access to the exhale to engage those deep core muscles and kind of do the movement. And that's going to be the most supportive uh, muscle for you. And then you're rolling the hips up into that bridge. Hips are lifted, feet are pressing into the mat. Try to pretend or make sure your knees are not touching. They're going parallel to each other. And then again, inhale, hold. And then on the exhale, soften through the sternum area, roll the spine down all the way down until you drop the pelvis into your neutral spine. Why don't we just stay in this neutral, resting on the mat for just one more breath. You can do more bridges if you desire. I would suggest perhaps doing four, five, six. Just see how your body feels with it. You can do more or less. I'm not a big number person. I like to just see how it feels for you. And this is a good one to help tap into that parasympathetic nervous system. And you can also just breathe in that way and literally strengthen that parasympathetic nervous system. So just know you don't have to like get on the mat and have a certain position of the body to do that. Thank you so much, Erin. Bridges are one of my all-time favorite movements, and I love it that that was your choice for today. Yay. I love it too. Thank you all so much for spending your time with us. And again, a big thank you to Jill. As always, if getting sober is something you have struggled with or you're just beginning your journey and need some support, Feel free to reach out to us. You can learn more about our work at reverrecovery.com or follow us on Instagram at reverrecovery. We also have a free Facebook group full of wonderful people called Reva Holistic Recovery Support. And if you'd like to learn more about working with us directly, you can book a free visioning session by reaching out to us through any of these platforms. If you like the podcast, we'd appreciate it so much if you could give it a five-star rating and a review so other folks can find us. Thanks again for listening. And as always, cheers to you and your liberation. Bye-bye, everybody. The Hangover Liberation Society is a production of Feminist Hot Dog and Loudspeaker. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org.